0: This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bauerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control.
1: Welcome to Bendy Bodies. This is your guest co-host, Jennifer Milner, here with Dr. Linda Bluestein for another episode of this dance-specific series. Today, we are so fortunate to be chatting with registered dietitian, nutritionist, and dancer, Kristen Koskinen. Kristen pursued a career in dietetics to find the answers to her questions about nutrition and its impact on health and performance. She owns a private practice where she offers virtual nutrition counseling with a focus on performance nutrition. She incorporates the functional aspects of food in her approach to help artistic athletes of all levels, including those who've retired from dance. Her integrative approach recognizes that nutrition isn't just about the food you eat. It's important to take many factors into consideration including in individual biochemistry, environment, cultural influences, social norms, and body image, especially when working with dancers. Kristen is a founding member of DanceMed and is regularly invited to speak on topics related to dancer health and is a frequent contributor to media, including Dance Magazine, Shape, Oprah, Healthline, NBC, and Today.com. Kristen, welcome to Bendy Bodies. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I can't wait to dive into our topic today. So before we start um, with the questions that we we have lined up for you, can you give us some background on your life and just how you ended up as a nutritionist?
2: Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a dancer. I grew up dancing in a pre-professional ballet company. And there was a lot of talk about diets and weight loss, but not much about how to eat to support performance. Um, nutrition was essentially equated with weight loss. And in the, in the culture then, as there unfortunately is now, thinner meant being better. It was better in ballet. And um, by the time I was 12 or 13, I found that I was restricting what I ate to watch the number on the scale go down. I was a normal weight and no one had ever suggested that I should lose weight, but it was clear that thinner dancers were serious dancers and I wanted to be taken seriously. Um, But in spite of that, interestingly, my artistic director was the first person to introduce me to the concept of nutrient timing. And that's the idea of um, what to eat and when to support your performance. And that combined with watching Rocky Balboa swallow raw eggs were really my introduction <laughs> to sports nutrition. <laughs> and, uh, so, then, so then I retired from ballet and I went on to college where uh, I, I switched from ballet to, ch- to cheerleading and I studied uh, biology and psychology intending to go to medical school. However, my biochem prof knew that my end goal was nutrition and recommended that I switch gears to pursue a master's in nutrition which I which I actually did after I finished school, I worked as a clinical dietitian, that means I worked in a hospital setting, and then I took some time off to be at home with our five kids, and I even homeschooled them for several years. I love teaching, um, I find it really rewarding and and that was that that was an interesting part of my life that I wouldn't have forecasted. so then, as the kids grew and went to school, I decided to go into private practice because I wanted to practice functional nutrition, and I really wanted to be who I needed when I was dancing and who a lot of people need when they're looking to take care of their own health and well-being. You know, healthcare is what we do at home. Sick care is what happens in hospitals. When I was working in a hospital, I was taking care of sick people. I really wanted to, which is wonderful, and we absolutely need that. I just wanted to be on the other end of things, giving people more control over their own health and destiny. Um, So I take a holistic approach in my practice where I emphasize long-term health and wellness, using food and nutrition to support the body's natural processes, including um, recovery, athletics, immunity, and I really try to emphasize how foods make my clients feel. Sometimes the emphasis is more physiologic, and sometimes it's more
1: emotional,
2: but we're always mindful of, of where we're sourcing and how that goes.
1: There's so many things about that that I love, um, including the concept that healthcare is what we do at home. Um, and hopefully if we do that, we don't end up at the hospital needing the sick care. So exactly, that is a great way to look at it. It's not really a luxury to be trying to eat healthy foods. It's a, it's a necessity. It's like prehab instead of rehab.
2: Oh, exactly. I love that. You know, when I talk
1: to our, when I talk
2: to our, and they you know, we share friends, our dance PT friends, it's a, the same thing. They, they, you know, what they can do, what we can do ahead of time is so much more powerful than if we wait to, to fix things. The prevention really is the best cure.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, one of the things we look at um, in the circles that the three of us <laughs> travel in is that balance between dancers being the artist but also being the athlete and so many times um, we work on finding that perfect aesthetic right trying to make ourselves look a perfect way and in in my line of work it might be that they're cheating the way their hip is used to get a beautiful line when that's just not physiologically how they're built and in your line Mm -hmm. it might be um cheating their fueling in order to have a specific kind of aesthetic and a kind of look Um, and going going beyond that uh, what are some of the typical mistakes that dancers make in the the way that they feel themselves
0: oh
2: yeah absolutely you know they they are they're artistic athletes and and when we look at the psych, this is we we need to look at the psychology of the dancer and th- there's this spectrum that I, that we find a dancer falls on in that term. So they some really view themselves as artists, and others really embrace the art the athletic component of dance. Most people fall someplace in the middle, but no matter no matter what, um, they are artists. And this idea of line ballet is really is really kind of my my main area and line and line. Tends to be, we look at the beauty of a thin line, and so we drive a lot of thin ideologies, which drives dancers to undereat, mm-hmm. which drives them toward fad diets, and some of the diets they even pick up may actually have a have an appropriate role for other people. Um, keto is a big one; like keto has a can be used therapeutically for great results. It's not a place that dancers should should be. So um, I think they get caught up in, in fad diets, they underfuel. they use artificial means to elevate their energy levels, which is really just robbing yourself from another day, whether it's caffeine or energy drinks or sugar um, and it just drives things in the wrong direction. And what we re- want to do, the, the the dance medicine field as a whole is really looking at longevity in dance. We're not looking at the dancer retiring at 18 or 22 or even 30. We're looking at dancers dancing well into their 50s or maybe even 80. Um, and, and what you do now impacts how long and how strong you can dance. So... Did I dance around the question? <laughs>
1: nope, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, yeah. I what I heard was that some of the some of the things that you commonly see are um, under eating, um, looking at fad diets, um, just under fueling in general, and then sort of artificially raising energy levels as well. Um, right. Is there in this? in this grouping of things that we see a lot because I see those same things. And I like that you specifically talked about artificially raising energy levels because a lot of dancers do that, overdosing on mm-hmm. coffee or shooting a pixie stick before they have to go on to do snow yeah. or you know, whatever. Yeah. But, but another common thing that I see is just not knowing what and when to eat. Do you, do you see that as a common thing too, that they're not necessarily trying to avoid eating healthy, but they don't know – when, sh- when can I eat a bigger meal? And, and when should I eat less? And when should I eat this type of like, when should I eat more fat heavy or protein heavy? And when should I eat healthy carbs? Do you see that kind of thing commonly as well?
2: All the time, all the time. And you know, and that is okay. That's actually a decent place to be because that that's sports nutrition. That's specific knowledge that we want to layer in to a a sound diet. So we so this is part so if I'm working with a dancer or any athlete but specifically dancers we want to we want to have a foundational diet. The the trick is we need to be able to shift what they're eating depending on a lot of factors. So those factors could be where they are in their season, whether, you know, it is before, whether it's Nutcracker, whether it's before audition, if we're looking at the audition season after we're coming off of Nutcracker and maybe a little bit of a break and then driving into the audition season during the winter, and some associated issues there. Um, are they getting ready for summer intensives? How are they going to eat during intensives? So all these things make those, make the, the particulars different and they're going to be different for each person. I really try to work with dancers to um, find... To, to build flexibility into their, into their diets and meal plans. One of the ways I do that is with what I call the ballet bento. And about two years ago, I was really thinking about how can we educate dancers and provide real food solutions for them, whatever their needs are, um, that also turn them away from disordered eating. And I got thinking mm-hmm. about it and the bento is is a beautiful tool for this. I use the bento as a tool. I, if I can start a dancer at eight years old, it's perfect. Um, kids at any age can do this. Dancers, dancers dance professionals, PTs use the. Oh, I do it. You, you, do...
1: You, you got me started doing it.
2: Right, right. Exactly. And, <laughs> and I did it because of this. They're portable. You can take your healthy foods on the road. My dancers have been working with, with shelf-stable foods for a while, because you can't depend that you're going to have refrigerator space, or um, you know, you, if you're at the theater, that taking a cooler may or may not be an option for you. If you're traveling, mm-hmm. that may or may not be an option for you. So we work on these things in the beginning, and um, with the ballet bento. B- the one I use has six compartments and that lets, that lets us build things up and prepare for the unexpected because there's always unexpected. What if you're more hungry? What if rehearsal runs long? What if you only have this much time to eat? What if you can only get your nutrition in, in three bites, a big salad is a beautiful food, but it's, that's not a good idea. If you, if you've got, you know, five minutes to get in what you need before you're being called back because guess what we didn't we we, we're gonna run it three more times because we flopped it before so um creating flexible strategies that a dancer can go to and create on their own is really foundational to to my work with this community and and as it turns out it works really well with other people too (laughs) <laughs> now, now remind me what the question is because i I'm, now I'm, I'm I'm all in the ballet
1: bento world. <laughs> no, you answered it because we were talking about um, starting out with a, a baseline of of coming in not knowing what to eat and when to eat, and yeah. and dancers might feel like that's a terrible place to start. But you you were saying that's actually a great place to start because that's something that you can work with, um, and then yeah. trying to find ways to to learn how to do that. in a a flexible way, learning how to, like you said, create flexible strategies. And as we all know, dancers are masters at dealing with the unexpected and love being flexible and living in uncertain times, I'm saying sarcastically. So (laughs) (laughs) dancers very much want rules that they can follow. And it sounds like part of what you do is teach them, here are the basic concepts, and now you have the tools to figure out how to work within this structure.
2: Absolutely, and you're right. And the bento creates that structure. We are right. all about, and that that is dance. You have, we, we have structure. Someone's always telling us what to do. There's a mirror. Someone says, you're right, you're wrong. There are all these, the, the, um, the fundamentals and technique. After that, we can flex it out. But even with the parameters of a bento where you know, hey, you're going to put some protein in here and we can look, if I'm working with some, I can, I can give general recommendations and put lists together to help people get started. If I'm working with someone specifically because they have specific needs, they really want to dial in their performance. They, um, they have a health condition that, that we need to do. We can still have lists of these are your options and now do it. And, and it's reliable and it can take a lot of pressure off um, and remove a lot of anxiety when you just know you're going to be okay, and and you, it's 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 a very figure outable.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds completely doable, and it sounds like it gives dancers that the flexibility they need. So I love that concept. Like I said, you've got me. You already have me doing it. <laughs> Yay. I love it. I do too. Yeah. And every every time I make one up, I look at them like, oh, this makes me so happy. <laughs> awesome. I love hearing that. That really makes my day. <laughs> so so it's great to have that flexibility. It's great to have that knowledge um, of, of knowing that you can have that structure and then have stuff to put in it. Um, One of the things dancers deal with regularly is that we push ourselves too much and that we're running on fumes and sometimes we need to think beyond what do I need to eat in the next four hours. Sometimes we need to think my body is running completely on empty. What are some changes that I need to make? To help keep my immune system strong um, and especially in today's world it's even more important than ever to keep that immune system strong are there are there specific nutrients that dancers can focus on to help keep their immune system elevated
2: absolutely so there. um generally speaking i'm always going to go back to we found we want a foundationally strong diet we want we want we want the fuel you're putting in your body on a regular basis it's you know if that's the tank we don't want to run our tanks down to zero and we want to have these nutrients and accessible on, on the regular. We don't want to just fill the tank, top it off, and then spray the entire car with things thinking that that's going to solve the problem. So (laughs) let's start foundationally. And if we're not there, that's okay. We're going to start where we are. We do know there are certain nutrients that are imperative for immunity, and part of the way we know about the role of specific nutrients and immunity is by looking at undernutrition, and we understand that well when we look at um, areas impacted by food shortages or famines or explore um, nutrition status in developing countries. However, we can impose the same nutrient deficiencies on ourselves by dieting under fueling not, be, not paying attention, not practicing the self-care of eating the foods our bodies actually need. Um, I think immunity really gets pushed to the side with dancers because they tend to operate, it's in the here and now, it's in this performance, it's in this versus for the long term, you're going to need this immunity strong and going. So some of the nutrients of focus we would look at straight away would include um, vitamins A, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, selenium, zinc, and then there are a host of um, plant um, chemicals that can support immunity as well. But nutrients of focus we're really going to dial in on are those nutrients. They conveniently tend to come packaged in um, fruits and vegetables. Some of them we may need to supplement or layer in. They also can, um, some of them may be more Um, reliably available to the body in an animal product. Um, And and we would talk about that with dancers too. I know a lot of dancers come to me and they want to have a vegan, um, a vegan diet. And when we talk about plant-based, there's, I'd like to clarify this because it's really important, especially with um, a lot of documentaries we're saying come out these days, plant-based doesn't necessarily mean vegan. It means the The basis, the foundation of your diet is plants and you can build other things into it. So it may include some animal products. And and for most people, I do recommend that because um, it can be challenging to have a diet that meets all your needs, that's simply plant-based. So for example, zinc. Zinc, um, we can find zinc in plant foods like legumes and whole grains. But those kinds of foods also come with a lot of fiber, which is awesome, but it can make it harder for the fiber tends to hold on to the zinc a bit more in the plant, Mm -hmm. and it can make it less easy for the body to actually access it. Um, Other foods we want to think of when we're looking at the immune system include fermented foods. About 80% of your immune system is stationed in your gut. And how we feed the gut, how we treat the gut influences what we call the microbiota, that's all the microbi- um, microorganisms from parasites and viruses and bacteria. There's a whole host of them that live in in your gut. So we want to feed those well, and we also want to take care of the gut tissue. Um, so fermented foods can be can be very supportive um, for the general population. For specific populations, we might not want to use fermented foods. Fibers generally a good one to support the gut, Vitamin A is found in um, a lot of plant foods, including, we think of it in in yellow and orange foods, like carrots and squash and cantaloupe. Um, It can also be in dark leafy greens where the chlorophyll covers the um, vitamin A. And this is is a a precursor to vitamin A. It's not active vitamin A, Um, but dark leafy greens are another good source, mango. Um, you can get pre- vitamin A in its pre-done form, which is going to be, again, it's easier for the body to absorb in liver or egg yolks. Um, vitamin C, we know, is found in citrus fruits, Brussels sprouts, berries of all kinds. Um, it's, it's really pretty easy to get a hold of in whole food form. Vitamin E, pretty much the same. We, we find it in seeds and nuts and, and more fat-based Um plant foods and vitamin E is a little or vitamin D is a little bit of an outlier. That our best source tends to be the sun. However, most dancers aren't getting enough sun. It's not readily available in food sources. Um, You can get it in fortified dairy, fortified orange juice. Um, It is present in egg yolk, grass fed and finished Um, meats will have some, as well as mushrooms that have been exposed to UV light but a lot of people just aren't eating enough of those foods to meet their immune and function needs. And when we look at, it's important too, when we talk about how much is enough, because that becomes a question, is it the RDA? Eh, I look at the RDA as a starting point. That's what's going to prevent a blatant deficiency, like blatant deficiency of vitamin D is rickets. A blatant deficiency of vitamin C is scurvy. But when, we are, when our bodies are under a lot of stress, whether it's emotional stress, like what a lot of people are experiencing now, whether it's physical stress, what we experience when we're dancing, um, have intense dance schedules and training schedules, or both, the body draws on a lot of these nutrients. So you may need more. I mean, some people may even need some additional support from supplements. Um, stress is a big one and what people may not understand um, is your body doesn't disseminate between physical stress and emotional stress. It reads stress is stress, and it's going to fight or flight comes into play. And your adrenal glands control the a lot of the hormonal um, proce- processes that that drive these responses. And your adrenal glands also house most of your vitamin C, which is a good indicator of how important it is for the stress response, because the location makes it very rapidly accessible to producing what you the hormones you need for stress response. And so if you're under a lot of stress, your vitamin C demand may actually escalate. So if you've been under a lot of stress, what people find is like, oh, I was under, you know, wow, I got so busy. It was nutcracker. And then I just like crashed and got sick. Or they find they're under a lot of pressure and then they crash and get sick. It may be in part because they're burning through their stores and they're not Re refueling um, the vitamin C C stores to the degree they need to on the regular to keep them healthy, and that may be part of the crash. There are other things too, but but it can be a contributor. Vitamin D, not getting enough vitamin D because dancers don't go outside, they don't expose their skin. <laughs> Even when they can go outside in the summer, if it's summer break, they're at intensity. So you know we that's you know we, we've got to address that and make sure that they're covered.
1: Absolutely. Um, I, and it, I love, it sounds to me like you're not saying eat almonds and you'll be fine. (laughs) I think we as a society love to find that next big thing. I I know for a while Mm -hmm. it was goji berries, right? Or, or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And people think, well, I'm just going to eat a bunch of these and I don't have to do anything else. And I think we were realizing there's no magic bullet, that it's a wide variety. And there are lots of great superfoods, but there's not one superfood. And so we we have to... We have to get a wide variety is what you're saying, which we all hear, but we don't like to believe because we love shortcuts.
2: <laughs> right. Well, and you know, okay. So I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here. When I was dancing, I saw total cereal. Okay. And it was like, total, it's got a hundred percent of all these things you need. <laughs> and my logic was if I just eat t- total cereal three times a day, boom, I've done it and I don't have to think about it anymore. Right. I got a hundred percent. Yeah. That's not the way that works, sweetheart. So, And when we, and when we're getting our nutrition from food, we're getting what I call the speck of dust theory. So our the uh, the emerging science science is always emerging. We're always learning more. And when you get your nutrition from you know the whole food source, like potatoes or carrots or grapes or whatever, you're also getting phytochemicals, which we don't classify. In the, the federal government doesn't doesn't regulate that. They don't monitor. It, it's just not something that's there. But they're super important. So resveratrol, quercetin, rutin. These are all foods, or these are all plant compounds that come in your food that support immunity, that that are anti-inflammatory, um, that are best taken in food form. So. Yeah, when we eat the food, we're, we're hitting those bases. And there there is no one food. Um, it's it's really a, a broad swath of foods is our best bet. If we need to limit foods for certain reasons, like, you know, like right now, you can get what you can get, because <laughs> that's where we're at. You go to the store, you may not be able to find things, you know, we can work with that. But um, on the whole, and in, in normal circumstances, definitely go for a broad variety of plant-based foods and layer in um, well-sourced animal products.
1: Okay. I love that. Um, I do want to get into supplements and I know Linda has several questions for you on that. Um, And to start that off though, I wanted to circle back to you mentioned fermented foods and how important they were for the gut. Do you include, or do you see a place uh, for probiotics as well, which I know is a supplement, but do you see probiotics being um, as effective or helpful as the fermented foods.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know,
1: it, it I'm depends. Talking because... about, I'm talking about capsules as well as yep. you know, taking yogurt, but also the capsules that, that you can take to try to increase that. Yeah, I, I think probiotics definitely have a place.
2: Um, and the interesting thing is when we talk about probiotics, there's not just one. And we can actually look at what strains, different strains of bacteria offer different benefits. And depending, and, and, and I'll tell you this, it always, the answer is always going to be, it depends. So <laughs> in, in the general community, yes, probiotics are typically, can typically be beneficial. Um, if we want to get really specific and we have specific health concerns, we might want to look at what formulation of our probiotic we're using. For example, someone with allergies may benefit from using a particular strain of probiotic.
1: Mm. If,
2: if someone has what we call small intestinal ba- bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, small mm-hmm. intestinal bacterial overgrowth, we may not wanna do that because there's already a problem where bacteria are where they're not supposed to be. And we, might, we need to resolve the underlying problem and we don't wanna necessarily fuel the fire with throwing more on. That's gonna be a specific case-by-case measure even with even with the fermented foods for the if we're looking at the um, uh, dancers specifically with hypermobility who may um, have mast cell activation concerns histamines can be a problem and and we're going to say no we don't want to do fermented foods there because that can drive other issues um, for for those dancers so it's, it, it starts to become a little bit of a dance with the specifics, generally speaking, yes. But when we're looking at the human body, N always equals one. What works for me will not necessarily work for someone else. What works for me today may not work for me in 10 years, may need to be shifted depending even on the day of the week, where a person is in, or a female is in her cycle, where we are in the, where we are in the calendar year, where we are in our work year, where we are in the seasons. So we're always mindful of these things and how we may need to shift and adjust.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And and I'm really glad that you brought up SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, because that is something that people with hypermobility disorders mm-hmm. are definitely at increased risk of of having. And they yeah. can have a lot of those symptoms of you know uh, bloating and you know discomfort after meals and things like that that are vague enough that it can be, take quite a bit of time before they can actually get that diagnosis. So I'm really glad that you brought that up that while probiotics might be really great for one group of people, they're not going to be great for, for another group of people. so right. That's so yeah. important. And what are your thoughts about supplements in general? And are there certain circumstances under which you do encourage supplements?
2: My idea on supplements in general is we want to start with the diet, and then we use supplements to do just that, to supplement, to build in where we may have gaps. And a lot of people have gaps because of what food is available, increased demand in their physiologic needs and demands, Um, Our food supply is not the nutrient density of our food supply is not what it was many years ago. Our, our bodies have to fight a host of toxins constantly. Our bodies are under attack on the regular from pesticides, what Pete, your neighbor sprays in their yard, the, the fumes, the Marley's putting off. I mean, you know, the, the crap we're dealing with with Wi-Fi and it's, it's, there's a lot for our bodies to deal with. So generally speaking, Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely use supplements in my practice. They're not, I don't have a specific, um, formulary and not every, I don't necessarily think it's appropriate. Um, even I'll tell you what, even with the lead time. So I'm not going to lead with someone, particularly a dancer with a a lot of supplements at any one time, because it can give the false sense of security, like, Oh, but I'm taking this. So I don't need to pay attention to the diet, but your supplements aren't going to provide the curcuminoids that you get from eating turmeric that you put into, you know, the Indian dish that you're enjoying. Mm. And so, so I'm really particular about how, when we, when we bring these into, into the program, how psychologically the client takes it. So that's part of it. But, um, vitamin D, honestly, I, I almost across the board, people just aren't getting enough. They spend too much time inside. Um, if people have any sort of issues with liver or kidney or absorbing certain nutrients that support those organs, they can, they can fall short. Um, I I always pair vitamin D with vitamin K2 to make sure that the vitamin D goes where we want it and doesn't settle in soft tissues like um, the arteries and, and blood vessels. Um, yeah. Um, I think a, a high quality We'll pause there. Let's talk about high quality. When we're looking at supplements, it's really, really important to take a high quality supplement. What that means is you're getting what you think you're getting. It's not been doctored up with things you don't want or things that can hurt you. It's free of contaminants. It's been stored properly so that the the active ingredients are still active when you get them. And, um, yeah. And, and it's efficacious. Like it's going to do what it's supposed to do because it's been processed um, properly. So we want to look at high quality supplements. Those typically aren't going to come off the shelf from Target. You are probably going to, your best bet is to consult with your healthcare provider who will have access to um, a dispensary or to get them from a pharmacy. Those are my initial, I just, I recently wrote, a, um, I have a blog on supplements, If like supplements 101. If, if Listeners want to check that out, um, and we want to know what's coming in our supplements. Like I've seen, I saw a supplement come out with colloidal silver. Now, colloidal silver <laughs> is antibacterial <laughs> and antimicrobial. Topically, it can also lead you to having permanently discolored skin. So, some of these really—they're cu- really cute supplements that we're seeing advertised on social media. Have some things in there with some. You might not anticipate that as a side effect. Having your eyes discolored for life uh, because someone threw some disc- You know, and it sounds fancy, right? I mean, but, but I. But unless you are, unless you are under the specific care of a healthcare provider who practices functional and integrative and holi- and medicine, who understands how to apply that specifically to your case for a limited duration and when to pull it out don't go there. That's one of the reasons we want to, when we're looking at supplements, you know, it's, they're, they're very thoughtful. It's, it's really, this is, we're looking at, you know, this is, it's almost pharmaceutical. um, When you look at it because the interplay matters. If people say, Oh yeah, I heard zinc's great for your immunity. I'm going to start, you know, sloshing down the zinc. Well, that's fine. But if you overdo it, you can end up with a copper deficiency because copper and zinc compete for absorption if you end up with a copper deficiency, you're going to have a host of problems, including being immunocompromised.
1: So you've struggled <laughs> around and caused a new problem. So, so you mentioned you want to be under the, the guidance of a healthcare professional. So let me ask you really quick on this licensed nutritionist, uh, registered dietitian, healthcare coach. There's so much out there on the internet and through social media and people with these titles. How do, we, how do we differentiate and how do we know what we're looking for as far as who is really qualified to hand out this kind of information?
2: Right. So uh, what you say matters. So for example, the term doctor. You can go to a doctor who's a doctor of philosophy who you probably don't want, um, you know, in teaching philosophy in your university, you don't want that person necessarily managing your healthcare. They can be brilliant, but not in the ways you need them to be brilliant. A registered dietitian is a specific designation, a diet, registered dietitian or registered dietitian nutritionist is the same thing. It's just how we choose to, it's a moniker, choice. But that's the same as someone who puts letters after the name. It's a legal designation, just like MD for a medical doctor, a DO for a doctor of osteopathy, an ND for um, a naturopathic doctor, uh, a chiropractor, a doctor of physical therapy, and a DMD, a DDS. All these healthcare providers are have regulations based on that they have gone through a process to get where they are that is outlined and consistent. So for a dietitian, that means they have a minimum of a four-year degree um, with coursework that includes, but it is not limited to biochemistry, um, microbiology, physiology, nutrition sciences. You know, that's a baseline. They also have passed rigorous um um, board exams, and, and this is, and they, we, you know, you hear the same for physicians, dentists. All, all of us have done these things, and then they have continuing education to stay uh, that they're required to do to stay abreast in the field or in the um, particular area of practice where they are. So, my continuing education, I am every day. I am reading medical journals, nutrition out posts, all the things about what I do. And even though I understand school nutrition and how that works, and you'll find dietitians there, I don't practice school dietetics. And, I would refer, and if you needed someone like that, I would refer you out. So even within the field, what Linda does as a functional and integrative practitioner, she's going to have a knowledge base about a lot of these things that others won't. Her knowledge about hypermobility and pain management is going to give her a unique perspective that even if you went to another doctor and they can know a lot of things, they may not be able to dial that in. So one, you want to make sure you have a licensed credential practitioner. Then you want to make sure that that practitioner um, meets the needs you're looking for. You know, we don't want to send our sons to gynecologists necessarily. They might, they might be missing some bases. So that's... um, that's really important. There is no such thing. That, like, after you have a registered dietetics degree and those um, qualifications, there are certain programs you can pick up additional certifications. You can have a certification as a as a diabetes educator, as um, a sports nutritionist. There are things that you can do, but there is no broadly accepted, nationally accepted, internationally accepted certified nutritionist, I'm saying that in air quotes, or um, even health coach, they can offer, a health coach can offer you some great support, but they cannot offer you um, the kind of background and knowledge and understanding that a dietitian is going to have because of what they bring in and the understanding they have about the body and how people work and why the questions we're going to ask to get to why, to where you are and what what approach we're going to take. Because we're it's, it's, it's very layered. Mm. So, so what makes sound is like a simple question. Uh, if you ask me a question or I'm looking at someone, I've, I've run that through, I'm running that through, you know, a layer of filters to decide where we want to go next. It's because there is no formulary. There is no, we do this, then we do this. We prescribe this. That's not the way it,
0: it can, you can do that, but that's not the way it actually works. I think that this is such an important point, and I 'm so glad Jen that you asked this question because I think as you 're explaining this kristen it 's making me realize too that when people are getting a a simple answer or a something that sounds too good to be true, you know that's, I think that 's how a lot of people do end up um, being successful at uh, you know, convincing people to try things that maybe are not in their best interest because they make it just sound so great. Um, but mm-hmm. like you're saying, you're, you're thinking of all of these different scientific things and the body is so incredibly complicated. And so that's why you don't have like one single answer for, for everyone that is um, going to work in every single person every single time because there's just so many variables that you have to factor into consideration.
2: Absolutely, and you know another thing that a dietitian—not all dietitians, but something that a dietitian or a dietitian who works in concert with other health professionals will have access to—is different levels of testing. So, if we have questions about things, so for it, it, we can we can we can test and not guess. A lot of times, we can we can use a clinical approach and based on on physical signs and symptoms and what you're eating and a, and a number of inputs we can we can choose a right direction but we also have access to these high level supplements that other people don't have i'm not, you know that a multi level marketing coach isn't going to have available to them and we're going to be able to test to see how's this all working and what parameters do we have and a dietitian is going to work in concert with your other healthcare providers, if it's, you know, when it's appropriate to make sure we're getting great results. And when we're looking at communities or um, populations with, with high level needs or specific needs, we might need to get to that level of complication. And I, things I would start with a dancer who um, has hypermobility, is someplace on the hypermobility spectrum. I'm gonna start at a much different place than I'm gonna start with a dancer who doesn't, including maybe, you know, we might pull out some testing right away to start addressing some of these gut or SIBO
0: or other issues or inflammatory issues to, um, to mitigate the process. And, and what test results would you want to see in a, in a perfect world? You're, and, and let's say it is somebody with hypermobility when you're first starting to see them, what test results would you like to see?
2: In an in an ideal world, I'll take all the tests. I want all the data. <laughs> Give them to me. I'll sort through it. I love it. I want everything. But that's not really reasonable, um, you know. Okay, so for example, even if it, we're not really talking about thyroid, and that that's a little off. But I see clients come to me, adult clients, so like, oh, everything's fine. You know, I don't have a thyroid. My my primary care provider. Um, you did, did a thyroid test, and they took one parameter out of at least four that we want to look at to actually gauge mm-hmm. where you're at. It's like, oh man, that that one TSH. No, that's that's not the end of the story. So right. I want to see the 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 depth of testing too. My if I had to choose my my top picks would be um, I would go for a micronutrient panel, and I would go for an MRT test because I in my practice I found a lot of success using the results, an MRT test essentially looks at what foods a person specifically has adverse reactions to. So, um, and they can be even healthy foods. So I have a client who is very, um, she's really reactive to quinoa, basil, chicken, I mean things that people think is healthy food, <laughs> bananas. <Right. laughs> and when we took those out of her diet and were able to give her other healthy options, she, her eczema went away, brain fog cleared. Um, you know, this was these are some we can get some really good results. Everyone's going to respond differently, but when we're looking at it, at connective tissue concerns and connect, you know, we are connective tissue. Our gut, you know, we. And we're looking at the fragility of that. I want to see what can we do to, to just, you know, celiac disease is a big concern with Ehlers-Danlos and, and sometimes the ensuing mood issues that we might see from things leaking through the gut and hitting the rest of the body that can impact our mental status. So those would be the ones I would go with first. And that, inc- that, that gives, you know, with those two, I get a lot of information.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and when it comes to the hypermobile population, whether they have Ehlers-Danlos or hypermobility spectrum disorder or um, a, you know, a different hypermobility condition, but um, for that population, which of course we know does affect dancers more than the uh, general population, how do you approach their diet differently than a non-hypermobile person's?
2: Well, someone with hypermobility is going to come in with a lot. They're going to have some, some other – we're looking at them – Um, differently because they're going to a lot of times come with different health concerns. So like, like we talked about SIBO or GI distress or, you know, all these things that we want to approach first. So my first approach is going to be, I'm going to look at the gut. We're going to talk about nutrient timing and a lot of those things and, and maybe more the sports nutrition performance items a little later, because if we put that ahead of tending to the gut, we're gonna miss a lot, so I want to make sure that that GI system is in the best form we can get it, and it may not be perfect or ideal, but we want it at its best, whatever that is. Just like extension, what your feet are, we want them to be the best they are. We can't cheat this. So a gut-friendly diet may be in, in part, removing offending foods, so foods that are pro-inflammatory. We know there, there's some known pro-inflammatory food choices, gluten, soy, corn, dairy, sugar. A, di- a dancer who comes to me with on the hypermobility spectrum, we're going to start off by getting rid of gluten. Why? Because gluten is known to drive zonulin, which drives um, gaps in the intestine, which can lead to the subsequent Hyperinflam- these subsequent inflammatory issues with other food sources. So we're going to pull gluten right away. I don't necessarily do that with every dancer. I am going to do that with my hypermobile dancers because it, it's just, to me, a no-brainer. We're going to look at the kinds of fiber that work to support that gut. If they're coming with some other you know, known issues, do we need to rule out SIBO? Do we need to do some specific testing for that? Um, a lot of that i'll have do have them do with their primary care provider because it it tends to be cheaper, easier to do. Um, do they need to maybe go on a low histamine diet temporarily or for the long term based on their concerns? we're going to look at that do they Do they respond differently to different kinds of foods? So we talk about apples and onions and grapes as being wonderful foods, high in fiber they offer um, quercetin and some of these resveratrol and some of these other phytonutrients we've talked about. But if a dancer's GI is such that it gives them gas distension, and bloating, we might want to try what's called a FODMAP diet, which is a temper it's a temporary thing, but it's a therapeutic approach to pulling some foods out. We'll see how the body responds and then we'll bring things back in slowly um, so we can maximize the diversity in their diet. I'm probably going to be really quick to bring in hydrolyzed collagen with with someone with a bendier body. Why? Because we know that when we with elemental nutrients, that means when we break them down to their their most their smallest form, like protein, they are more readily available to the body. Hydrolyzed collagen has been broken down to um, smaller peptides which are readily absorbed and and there's some research that even suggests that those peptides after they're absorbed um, indicates that the body needs to actually produce more collagen so we need collagen to heal the gut and to for all the connective tissue we need it for bone which is also connective tissue so i'm going to bring that in whether it has a direct response or not you know we don't have all the answers we don't know it, but it's not going to hurt, so that's something I will I would bring in right away. Um, it's a it's a low to no risk outing.
0: That that all sounds great. And when it comes to uh, we talked briefly about mast cell activation syndrome earlier, and yeah. also um, we've talked a little bit, of course, about about chronic inflammation. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about? Um, you know, both of those things and how you, you've mentioned some foods that can that can definitely potentially increase inflammation. Are there certain foods that, in terms of mast cell activation syndrome and or inflammation, certain things that can actually Im- improve those things? Um, yeah, well, with mast cell activation, a lot of it is, you know, with, with inflammation,
2: our, a lot of our first approach is removing offenders. So things that drive histamine or that come as... that actually deliver histamine, we want to pull out. So specific foods would be fermented foods, aged foods like salamis and cheeses, um, leftovers even. So we want to be really cautious with those in the diet. Foods that are known to be and that have a wealth of um, historic and scientific evidence as being anti-inflammatory include ginger, cinnamon, garlic, we'd want to be a little careful with that one with, um, with certain, um, certain clients that could that that can drive them in the wrong direction. Um, green tea, uh, let's see, what else am I thinking? any, there, resveratrol, um, that comes from grapes and those kinds of things. And so ideally we eat them in the whole food form, but if we can't, because they, you know, other components of the food, they drive inflammation. We can get them in supplement form too and and really actually get a a high load of say cinnamon or or ginger or turmeric as opposed to eating the food form. And that can be really helpful. There are studies, there are some studies that are fairly new that show that dosing with um, around 2,400 milligrams of cinnamon Divided over the course of the day can help with menstrual pain. Now, is that all kinds of pain? No. Is it a specific? Was it a specific study? Yes. Can we extrapolate that? Yeah. Would I add some cinnamon to the food I'm eating, particularly Ceylon cinnamon as opposed to Saigon cinnamon, which is what you buy in the grocery store? Mostly, it's less. The Saigon's less expensive. Look for Ceylon. You probably have to order it. Is it, could it could it offer some benefits? You bet. Um, yeah, so I would I would totally pull those kinds of things in. I don't have a lot of experience with mast cell activation, and I would probably be looking at a colleague to help me out with that. But these are some starting points where it, that we would lead with.
0: I love the tip about the cinnamon. I honestly have never heard that one before. And uh, my, amongst my patients, the amount of uh, menstrual pain is, is really, really significant. I mean, this is a problem that's super, super common. So I'm very curious to do a little bit more research on that myself, because that sounds really intriguing. Yeah. And low risk. Sure. You know.
2: Yeah and, you, yeah, and we and yeah. we know that, and, and ginger, ginger the same thing. And here's the thing too: when we look at a lot of these foods, what's important to know, and this is again why working with a healthcare practitioner can be super helpful, is is it's like, well, I tried the cinnamon. We also know it can help with blood sugar control. So it's like, you know, in a particular patient, I may not want to give them that if they if they tend toward hyperglycemia, right? So we talk about sure. this now. Mm-hmm. But if someone else says, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to do all the cinnamon." it could drive them in a the wrong direction. And we might want to time the cinnamon when they're taking it to make sure that they don't crash in the middle of class or performance. So these are the things we layer in. Um, yeah, but it's it, these are sometimes where we need to we need to hit a threshold dose. And what we do, it's not a one and done. So these are things that might take, just like most uh, a lot of pharmacologic products, take up to six weeks to hit a threshold and to actually be effective. It can be the same with your food, nutrition, um, or even supplements sometimes you 'll see results you know almost immediately. sometimes it may take time to to actually
0: you know reveal its beautiful self mm-hmm. and and you really are e- e- explained to us so well and so um, thoroughly the nuances to this and why it 's so important to work with a nutritionist if you possibly can rather than doing your own research, which is, is always going to be geared, you know, towards the general public. So, so this is such great information. And how would you um, recommend that people find a nutritionist that can specifically address their needs as a dancer or their needs as somebody with hypermobility or, you know, any other specific populations like that?
2: I would recommend dancers head over to the international, Association of Dance Medicine and Science, which we affectionately call IADMS, I-A-D-M-S. And I think if you search IADMS.com, you'll, you'll go to the website where there is a directory of dance medicine specialists who, that's what they do. They work with dancers and if, and you can contact, and a lot of them work virtually because, you know, one of the br- brilliant things about COVID is we are, you know, a lot of us are now, I work virtually, but a lot of us are working more virtually. You can contact any number of people. And if someone doesn't have the answer or can't help you, perhaps because their state licensure doesn't go over your state line, they can refer you to someone else. And mm. the network, this network is a is incredibly valuable because I can refer people. I refer people all the time to physical therapists or, you know, i it, to to Linda, hey, check out Linda's site. There's there's a wealth of information and a wealth of skill and knowledge um, that these people are delighted and passionate. This is this is how we keep this is how we stay involved with the dance world, even if whether we're dancing anymore or not.
0: Yes, and it and it's such a collaborative group, and I really just love that about it. All, all three of us being members, of course, and being yes. actively involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and, it's and a, we've it's seen a, it. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. Okay, great. And then what about, um, do we just want to maybe hit on just a couple more things here and we'll be wrapping up. Are there areas of nutrition that you hope to see more research on in the future?
2: Oh, so many. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and things are moving ahead so quickly. And some of the things we're seeing now, like even how collagen and dancer and collagen and soft tissue and all these things. And sometimes it just takes time for things to reveal, Um, but it's exciting. I think what I'd really like to see on the nutrition front is getting the information we already have to dancers now. And and sometimes our um, our best gateway to the dancers are the people who love them and teach them and look after them. Dance parents, choreographers, artistic directors, teachers, the people who coordinate RDA the ballet alliance the people who take care of dancers and bring them together and provide education for them and if we could make this make nutrition and give them the tools and the knowledge so they can make good decisions if we could get that to dancers at any stage of the game not just premier companies like you know New York City Ballet or Miami or any of these but if we could get this to dancers early on we would we would give them such A leg up in their careers and in their lives. Like this, this is these are skills that will last with them, just like the skills we learn in dance. That you know, that that shape us. These things can shape people to have better lives. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Me too. Me too. And um, is there anything else that we didn't ask you about that you'd like to add? And if you can make sure to let people know where to find you. Gosh, you know, I think,
2: I think we covered pretty much everything. If there's anything that comes up, maybe maybe we can do a part deux and, <laughs> and, things, um, and, and keep this encapsulated. Yes, I'm, I'm glad to have people reach out to me. They can find me um, on my website, which is www.eatwellpros.com. You can find me on Instagram. My name, which is Kristen K R I S T I N underscore Koskinen, K O S K I N E N underscore R D N. You can find me on Facebook. I'm not there quite so much, um, or you can email me directly. And my email is kristen k r i s t i n at eatwellpros e a t w e l l p r o s dot com.
0: Wonderful. Well, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today and it's been so great to have Jennifer Milner, um, my guest (laughs) co-host, on this show again today as well. (laughs) This has been so informative and is going to benefit so many people. It's so empowering for people to realize that there are things that they really can do to improve their health while they're dancing um, in their life post-dance. And, um, you know, they can really just uh, improve their quality of life so much from, from all this information. So, so thank you so much, Kristen. Yes, thank you so much for coming. You know what, before I leave, I will leave with this for some quick resources
2: available to dancers and, 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 and and at the time of our recording, when we're in the midst of COVID-19, some things that I have, and this could change depending on when you're listening, but as of March 28th, um, I have an article in Dance Magazine that talks about the way pe- uh, dancers can use um, shelf-stable foods to create meals and and address um, nutrients, some of which we spoke about today. So zinc, vitamin A, vitamin C, that kind of thing. I would direct them to Dance Magazine to read that. Um, on my Instagram account, I have links to a couple um, dance-specific handouts that I make available to dancers. One includes shelf-stable recipes that help support um, um, the dancer through this and almost all of them. I, I, I actually made it, so I think all of them are gluten-free. So for the populations who are looking for that, they can have that as well as some grab-and-go snacks for once we're through all of this and we're back in the <laughs> studio, things that dancers can put together Aww. and start to put in their bentos. So um, I encourage so
1: them gracious. to go check out those resources. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes, that's that's all fabulous. So wonderful. I'm so glad that you mentioned those because people are definitely going to uh, want to look at those resources as well. So, well, great. Well, well, you uh, you've been such a a great guest today, Kristen. And um, thank you again, Jennifer. And you all have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD and uh, today our guest has been Kristen Koskinen, registered dietitian and nutritionist. And my guest co-host has been Jennifer Milner. It's been so ha- fabulous having both of you here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a great time. Thank you. Absolutely. Please go to bendybodies.org for links to all the episodes and to access the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share, leave a review, and consider rating us five stars. Don't forget to subscribe so you will be notified of all new episodes. Feedback is greatly appreciated and can be emailed to bendybodiespodcast at gmail.com. Go to hypermobilitymd.com to sign up for my newsletter. My guest co-host, Jennifer Milner, can be reached at jennifer at jennifer-milner.com. That's M-I-L-N-E-R. Thank you to Rhett Gill for production and sound editing, to Andrew Savino for composing our original music, and to Jennifer Arsenault for designing the Bendy Bodies website and cover artwork. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Please see your own medical team prior to making any changes to your health care. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine premium braces and supports designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.